Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. It is time to debrief the O Canada tour. It was two losses for the Matildas. They went down 1-0 to an Adriana Leon wonder strike up in Brisbane and suffered a 2-1 defeat at the new Allianz Stadium in Sydney. Mary Fowler scored an absolutely great goal to get things started, but Adriana Leon, she simply loves Australia and banged in two. Can't wait to see her do that for Manchester United, but that is an aside from me. Obviously, plenty to talk about from these two games, so let's start doing it. Before we get into it all, though, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's debrief, you've got me, Marissa Lodanik, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and Sam Lewis. So we've got two games to talk about. The vibes are not good as just a blanket opening statement I don't think that's unfair but we thought the best way to structure this pod would be good bad and ugly so let's start with some good things Harrow a good thing that happened during these two games Caitlin Ford's performance before she came off early in the second half um this is in the second game was she missed the first game was probably the best I've seen Caitlin Ford play for Matildas in a very long time um she was had defenders on the back foot, like watch the way she was moving the ball, watching that the Canada defense just back off, back off, back off, because they just didn't know what she was going to do. She's so good with the ball at her feet. She's so strong over the ball, unpredictable. She loves to cut inside, create opportunities. She had a penalty shout that on another day would have probably gone the Matilda's way, but you can see how like watching it, watching it live and then watching the replays, you can see how if you were the referee and you'd watch Caitlin Ford just stay standing and barging her way through defenders for 40 minutes and then sort of see her go to ground relatively easily in comparison. You can see how the ref would have waved it away. So I wasn't too bothered by that. Um, but yeah, her performance, um, hopefully that injury, Nicola, let Sam confirm that isn't too much of a concern, but yeah, that was the best I'd seen her play in a long time. And it gave Sam Kerr more freedom. It allowed, I thought Courtney Vine to shine because it gave, Canada's defence is something to really think about, and we know that's what Caitlin Ford can do. She's a quality player. She's coming off a really good pre-season at Arsenal and a couple of really good seasons there. Where, As I said, we haven't really seen a heap of that form at Matilda's level for a couple of years between injuries and all sorts of things, and sometimes you have dips in form. But that was, the I think, the Caitlin Ford we know and love. And, yeah, geez, she makes a difference when she's on. So that was my positive. Which one of you would like to talk about Courtney Vine? Because I feel like it's a very good lead on from what Harrow just said. Was that even a question? You know it's going to be me. Yes, my positive was... But I'm Ginger. (laughs) She's my sister. No. Take it away, Sam. Sometimes good not to talk about the family, Angela. (laughs) Conflict of interest. Nepotism, et cetera, yeah. Courtney Vine was fantastic what uh what a cameo in the first game up in Brisbane immediate impact almost scored a goal totally justified her starting in the game in Sydney and how much of an improvement was it going forward when you had someone as quick and as brave as Courtney Vine out on that wing she in a very similar way to Caitlin Ford I thought Courtney Vine freed up Sam Kerr it allowed Sam Kerr to combine more freely with her 
And she was just, she just took players on. She had that kind of ability and that trust in herself to be able to do stuff that Emily Gilnick was not able to do. And you saw that when she was replaced by Emily Gilnick, all of a sudden the Matilda's attack looked quite flat, quite blunted. Gilnick didn't offer really anything going wide or going forward in terms of speed. Her touches weren't great. It was sort of a chalk and cheese sort of thing from, uh, from those two players. So yeah, Courtney Vine, I think this was a really important moment for her. It was a moment for her to cement her spot, I would say, in the Matildas going forward um, and as a really solid replacement for a Hayley Rasso because that's ultimately what this series, I think, was sort of about in one sense. It was about who can actually step up into the shoes of Hayley Rasso when she's not there in a tournament setting. And I think Courtney Vine has absolutely uh, put her name up in lights in that respect. So, yeah, Courtney Vine, fantastic. I hope we see more of her. Angela, a positive from you? Yeah, I like I don't I don't know if it's a cop out to be like Mary Fowler scoring a goal. That was good. Mary Fowler all round, Angela. I reckon yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty safely yeah. run with that second game. Yeah, I think Mary Fowler, it's interesting. She's kind of like one of those players now. She's just in the squad and it's normal. And I don't even question when she's in like she plays a full 90 or she's in the starting lineup. But at the same time, it's like sometimes you do have to like step back and be like, Oh my God, Mary Fowler, she is so playing above her level. And yeah, I just, I really enjoy Mary Fowler. Um, what like just generally, and since she's kind of had that moment, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of like pre the Olympics, she had that moment where she sort of um, seemed to enjoy her football a little bit more. And it was finally like, oh, she's here. Like she's in this squad and she's, fitting in and she's doing all the things that we know she can do and she's just continued to do that but yeah the the goal um in the first five minutes of the second game uh was just such a fantastic finish and involved play from Courtney Vine in the lead up an assist from Sam Kerr it just really felt like such a great team goal it was very fun and sexy loved that um I also just as a I guess a second good thing I liked that Charlie Grant got Charlie Grant Grant it's Grant, Grant with a with a flat bogan A. I say Grant. Yeah, my neighbor growing up was Grant. Yeah, anyway. Um Charlie Grant getting uh two full 90s. I think she played better in the second game, which is always a good thing. Um, and I mean, a, a lot of us would have breathed a sigh, sigh of relief with Courtney never not being put back on in the starting 11 for the second game, given the violence um, <laughs> that she committed against Adriana Leon in the first game. I Should was like, read. oh God, I didn't realize that girls with plats could do that. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's a thing. It's anyway. So, but Charlie Grant getting um, two 90 minute appearances uh, that seems really important in this current setup with obviously her being the heir to Ellie Carpenter. And I think, um, yeah, she had a, a pretty decent innings, but I, Katrina Gorey did make her look good at certain points. That's another third good thing. Katrina Gorey doing more of the same that we saw in the New Zealand friendlies. Um, but I think against higher quality opposition, especially with, with Canada as well, it was to have that grit and to have um, someone who's, does put in the grunt work to get back and is a little bit nippy. Um, Sam, your piece about her, I think was, was great and really summarised all of the um, 
things to watch for in terms of her contribution to this team. Obviously, and I'll let people read that themselves, um, but you do touch on some kind of um, departures from that and uh, like how it might not be the entire answer, which I think is very valid and I agree with what you said there. But overall, having a six, it's a six. Or like a, a, a midfielder who can play as a six, uh, the, the midfield chat. Where do we have a six? Blah, 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 blah. We'll get into that probably. I don't know which crisis do we want to focus on today, guys. I don't know. Can we go alphabetically or chronologically? There are so many. Oh god. Anyway, <laughs> but the good things, good things. Mary Fowler, uh, Charlie Grant, Katrina Gary. I just hogged that. That's all they right. were good things. We got five. Well done, yeah, we everyone. Good things. And like outside of individual players, the first half in the second game against Canada. Yeah, so, so one of the best, probably the best half of football they've just about played under, yes. under Tony. Didn't let a shot go away. Yep. Sorry, didn't let Canada get a shot away. Never looked like being beaten defensively. Nope. Um, completely dominated. Talked about Gory. Grant had found a bit more freedom to bomb up. We talked about the combination. Some of those just deft touches from Mary Fowler, like a couple of the yeah. balls. Was that Sam Kerchance offside? You can be the judge of that. But, like, you know, there were some fantastic little deft touches and moments and, you know, displays of class that were that were pretty exciting. And I guess I guess that's what made the – and we'll get it we'll, – don't worry, we're going to get to it. That collapse uh, – we'll get to it in the ugly part of this. That second half collapse, I think it just made it all the more jarring because of what yeah. we'd seen in the first half. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. And it wasn't just in terms of like, the, it was the exact energy that I think everybody wanted to see from the Matildas. You know, we, we sort of talked about it um, with Tony after the first game where there were, there were sort of patches of five to seven minutes every now and then where they played collectively um, with the sort of high intensity, high press, collective press, um, off the ball sort of movements that, he's been talking about for months and months and months, but really this was the first time we saw it in a full half of football and not against any old nation either. Like this is Canada. You know what I mean? Like this is a really good number seven in the world, Canada team. They're not pushovers. So for us to do that and sustain that for 45 minutes, I thought was really impressive, but what's yeah. And like you said, Harrow perfectly, like it just made the second half all the more, sort of awful by juxtaposition because it was they were so off the pace that we'll get into that in the ugly bit but yes no that that first half I think is something to build on and that's what Caitlin Ford said in the post-match press conference as well that they were they felt like themselves again in that half of football and they they looked like themselves they looked like the Matildas team that we seem to remember in what feels like a very distant memory now but the the kind of team that we feel, you know, the kind of team that we really enjoy watching. Um, it's just a shame that they weren't able to sort of carry that throughout the rest of the game. But now that they remember what it feels like, maybe that's going to trigger something in them for the next time they come into a window and they can actually tap back into that kind of vibe, you know. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't see your question, Harry. Um uh, yeah, in terms of Caitlin. That's Ford, okay. Well, long sorry. time, long time watcher. First time question answer. <laughs> yeah, no, in, in terms of Ford's injury, um, she she said that she's okay. She's feeling okay. I think that, it? I think it's a calf. Yeah, um, that's a bit of a like. calf cramp. Mm. Um, and we're surely coming off around the sixty mark anyway. 
Yeah, so there were a number of pre-planned substitutions, which again, we'll talk about in a sec, because I think that was definitely the pivot between the first and second halves Mm. in terms of the lack of intensity. Um, But yes, for Ford, she's okay. She just said that she's come off the back of a really intense pre-season with Arsenal, and this is really their first sort of big hit out against a high quality opponent in that way. So um, based on, I guess, load management and stuff, her body was maybe not quite where it needed to be. Um, and so it was more a precautionary coming off and just making sure she's going to be okay because pretty sure Arsenal was not going to have a great time if she comes back injured and vice versa. So, yeah, she'll hopefully be okay. and She'll hopefully be in better nick come the next international window, which I think is going to be in October. So not as before the, the Sweden friendly in Melbourne, there's going to be two games in October somewhere in Europe, I've been told. So hopefully she'll be all right for that. So there was good. There was undeniably bad. Um, and I think we all have some things that we would like to discuss. So, Sam, you're bad. And I think we're also going to get a sense of, like, what we constitute as bad and what we constitute as ugly is going to become very apparent as this pod <laughs> progresses. But, like, <laughs> what was bad, which is the barely tolerable shit that happened across these two games. Yeah. So, look, we've talked about some sort of standout individual players over the course of these games but one of the standout players for me for all the wrong reasons and the reason that she falls into the bad category is Emily Van Egmond um I thought that she had a really terrible series both games um she always looked just a little bit too slow in terms of off the ball movement on the ball decision making technique I counted probably five or six times where she was tackled in the first game that resulted in like a chance to Canada in and around the box. And for a player who is meant to be a senior midfielder, being in a, you know, having as much experience as she does playing against a team like this, you should, you should know better than to be as sloppy as that. And the, I guess in light of the the story I write about Katrina Gorey being in this sort of quarterback midfield number six role, whenever, whenever Van Egmond sort of um, failed in her responsibilities defensively, so much more pressure was heaped onto Katrina Gorey. And because Gorey is still learning this stuff and learning how to operate in these two different realms of attack and defense, she she was she was completely overwhelmed and there were so many times where the back four were so isolated because Canada just got into that space that both Van Egmont and Gorry left behind them and ran at them and it was scary and when we talk about the midfield I think the biggest issue that we've got at the moment is balance because I like Gorry as that sort of playmaking central midfielder I like Mary Fowler as a more Um, attack-focused, almost false nine kind of number 10 player. But the issue with the formation that Tony plays, which is sort of like a four at the back with two wingbacks, is that if you want that to work, you actually need to have a second midfielder who can play defensively just in case your wide fullbacks go too far up and you lose the ball. But the problem with Van Egmond is she doesn't do that. She doesn't come back. She doesn't track back defensively. She doesn't do the work. And because of that, the whole midfield in that system is thrown off. And that's why you see Katrina Gorey get so tackled so often and so overwhelmed by two, sometimes two or three midfielders as well. And why we had so many chances, particularly in the second half of the second game where our back four were just constantly under waves and waves of pressure because our midfielders just weren't doing their job properly. So it baffles me a little bit that, 
in in going for this kind of system, Tony has also chosen a midfield combination that doesn't complement that system. And for me, it's Van Egmond that throws that balance off because she doesn't have um, the defensive capabilities and she doesn't have the speed that's needed to be in that sort of position, in that sort of system. So I am pretty disappointed that we didn't get to see more of Claire Wheeler. I think that having a more natural number six there who's an enforcer in that kind of defensive space is really important. It would have freed Katrina Gorey up to move further forward. And it would have meant that when we did have those moments where Canada transitioned, we would have had a player there who knew what to do and who was trained to know what to do. Whereas it doesn't feel like Van Egmond was like that. So yeah, sorry, that was my big rant, but I, I just, I was so disappointed in in what I saw from Van Egmond across both games. I'm, I'm really hoping that Tony gives another midfielder a go because I feel like she's a little bit past her years by date personally. It was just frustrating, I think, Sam, seeing Wheeler and Alex Chidiak just warming the bench yeah. for one and three quarter games effectively, right? Like yep. I, I agree with you in terms of, can you have Wheeler as a six? The other option is if you're wedded to Gori as the six, Chids and Claire Wheeler, and we saw Claire Wheeler in that incredible season she had for Sydney FC, both of those players are well and truly capable of being hardworking, hard running, yep. you know, burst of energy style players that go up and back and up and back and up and back and just don't stop working. And you look at that second goal where it's just like, Donde esta the six? Yep. Not there because the bowler is the fantastic ball. Like it's absolutely splitting the entire defense and there's no one, you know, sort of in position to to cut it off. Like you just need someone doing the work. And I, I think your points are very valid, Sam, about, about Van Egmond. And we know that Katrina Gorey hasn't always played as a six as well. And she's more naturally attack inclined as well. And she, but she, she does the work, but you know, she's more naturally attacking clients. If you have a Claire Wheeler or if she makes it back because she's playing in Sweden, Elise Keller tonight, yeah. someone like that actually comes in. Does that give Gory more freedom? Either way, I, I think your main point is spot on that the balance isn't there. Mm. And especially when you're playing such a, this probably ties into one of my frustrations, the centre-back pairing where you've got Claire Polkinghorne, who to be fair, perfectly steady. I didn't think really put a foot wrong too much over these couple of games. But with Ivy Lewick, where you've got, what, 70 odd years between them? Like, <laughs> anytime there's a pacey forward, they're going to get done. And that's they're just going to make to look even slower if you've not got someone doing those that defensive grit work in front of them to make their lives a bit easier, to stop them having to run again and again and again and again, right? And, yeah, I think balance is probably... Probably what's what's got me there. Um, the the midfield clearly was off. Um, the I guess the defense the defensive structure frustrated me. And I really like Ivy Lewick as a player. I have for a very long time, but predominantly as a defensive midfielder in the in the W League in the past or A League women. Um, yeah, if you try, you 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 always know what you're going to get with Lewick. Like she will never stop trying, never stop working, never stop running. But I don't think it's the answer, um, and I'm sure we'll get more into it in the ugly. But it's yeah, the fact that we didn't have another centre back in the mix there. I know Alana Kennedy went down, but it was worrying. The other thing was just um, in terms of the uh, you you touched on Emily Gilnick before Sam, but just some of the the lack of clinical finishing has been such a killer. And um, you know we talk about coach killers that there's nothing more you know coach killing than not being clinical. Um, we know that. Sam Kerr, she has so much expectation and weight put on her. Of course, she's going to miss the odd chance. She had a couple 
the the real pressing one was that that Courtney Vine one where I think she just had so much time and space yeah, that she created that she that. just panicked yeah. and maybe got caught in two minds of, oh, actually maybe it'll be better to pass it and then just sort of half hit an outside of the boot shot straight to Kaylin Sheridan. Like those moments are frustrating. And then, yeah, to not have the depth or like to not see what we wanted to see from the depth coming on in attack, I think really hurt as well. Um, like Kara Cooney-Cross, I think, battled, had a f- like flitted in and out a little bit. Um, but didn't provide heat. But I think Emily Gilnick was probably the the real disappointment in terms of the attack. And you you said it all before, Sam. Like I very rarely just saw her get involved. The only time I remember was one little back to goal play, and that's not really what you have an Emily Gilnick in your squad for, is it? Like just the contrast. We talk about the contrast between the first and second half, and the contrast between what Courtney Vine provided and what Emily Gilnick provided. And I know she's had injuries and. You know, she's probably heading into the twilight years of her career anyway as well. You're not going to have the same sort of speed, but just the lack of involvement. And when Emily Gilnick has been at her best, we saw her a few years ago, she menaced defenders, right? Like you'd be genuinely scared of seeing someone who's about six foot tall, fast as the wind running at you. And we just didn't see any of that. And yeah, it was just, um, yeah, not a heap to like with that. So... Yeah, a few, quite a few things, clearly, that I didn't like on the field. But, yeah, maybe balance is probably the word. Balance and, and suitability. Square pegs in round holes. Yeah, definitely. Um, in, in the defence, it's literally that. And I, I know that Tamiki Yallop works really hard when she's played at left back. but And I think she's a great off-the-ball player um, in terms of um, pressing and countering and is pretty faultless in that. But she's not a natural left back. And, and we saw that, I think, for the first goal with how Leon just kept going and going. And it was, I guess, disappointing that you just saw everyone just throwing their hands up, looking for the offside straight away. <laughs> and she was the only one that made the made the sort of clinical touch. But, yeah, it's just a, a lack of balance the, across the field, whether it's players out of position or not having the right mix in places. It's, yeah, there's plenty that just wasn't working. It wasn't. Good. Angela, you've always had your anxieties about the – you've been most vocal about the anxieties regarding the defensive We're all line. anxious. We, we, all, all we, anxious. I'm t- we all feel anxious about the back line, but Angela has been the most vocal on the pod, so I feel like that's a good segue, segue to talk about this makeshift back four that we somehow ended up with. So do you have thoughts on how we ended up with two midfielders in our back four? Yeah, I like so completely acknowledge what you're saying, Anna, about Yallop, but let's not forget that Caitlin Ford once played a couple of games at left back. So I tr- I'm trying to like be grateful, but at the same time, like the problem is still it's still an issue that we have, yeah, a midfielder at left back. Um again, I do wonder if that was like Courtney Nevin being told, you know, behave. Don't, because like that first game, just anyway. Two games in a row where she could have been sent off. Like when you think about it, the last game she played, if Charlie Grant hadn't just zipped it um, about being a case of mistaken identity, Nevin would have had two yellows and been off. She could have had three yellows the other night. (laughs) She could have got the brain balls. She only got one yellow. So um, I digress. That those in terms of bad, those were bad fouls. We've already covered that, but um, yeah, the back line, like you said, I know it's. I I was watching the game with a friend, and I was 
kind of, I, I do like to just like be like, oh, that person does that. And that person's that old. And that person, you know, just like a child at the football, um, telling their, their father or something, all the things that they know. That's, that's how I get when I hang out with people who are like, know the rules of football, but aren't complete nuffs. Um, and I was sort of saw the, the tiers of different players that we had in the squad. And so it's like, yeah, we have two centre-backs who are by far the most experienced, but also the oldest in the squad. And then we had this kind of weird combination of what some people would call like the golden gen, I suppose. So like Gary, Kerr, and then the kind of fringe players that are coming back in. And that I do, I'm finding it a little bit confusing, the inclusion of Gilnick and Crummer as well. Crummer was. Oh yeah. Forgot to mention Larissa Crummer. That's just confused me. I mean, but that's, but that's like exactly right. Like we forgot that she was there. That's how little impact she had. And I just, in terms of, it is that thing about balance again, because we have, I don't like, does she need to, to be there is my kind of thing because her A-League women's season, it was great to see her playing again, but she was not um, a standout for me. Um, not in the sense that she's getting repeated call-ups and repeated minutes. Um, she's not and, playing overseas either, is she? Like nope. if you're a, no, girl, I feel like if you're a Chelsea Dauber or a Melina Ayres or um, Remy Simpson, Remy Simpson um, like I feel like you've got plenty of room to be a bit miffed, don't you, if you're not in this mix? I mean, you look at, and I know she's gone, she's not one of us now, India Paige Riley. Like you can't tell me <laughs> she wouldn't have offered more than those two in that squad. And I think that's yeah. what what was frustrating yeah and then and then we do have like the younger players your grants your nevins kyra cooney cross and and it's i find it very encouraging to look at it and be like okay so we have like a very solid foundation of young players um and that is definitely something that's come out of tony's tenure that i would like to hold on to as a fan i think that that is um if that's the legacy then that's not necessarily a bad one but obviously we're in the here and the now um and experiencing something a little bit different uh but yeah and but in terms of the backline back to the backline so our oldest players are in the backline and there's only two center backs and the thing that stresses me is i'm like i don't have any options like i can't i can't i don't have a, a i'm not expected to but like i feel bad that I can't provide an alternative or provide names of people who could come into this lineup. And I don't want people to say McCormick and Checker because I don't think they're at the level. Um, Lewick and Polkinghorn are both great centre-backs, but they both are they're quite similar in the way that they play at centre-backs and they're both slow and we don't have anyone who can. What's the phrasing, Marissa? You educated me earlier. I said it wrong. I was like, go clutch. And you're like, no, no, no. That's not how the players that can be clutch in be moments. clutch. Yeah, <laughs> we don't. I was like, Kayla Morrison, go clutch, and Bruce is like, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, we were talking about how do we get Kayla Morrison into the Matildas at a brunch today. Um, it never. We never switch off. Uh, so yeah, I just I'm not sure. And, and and it becomes an issue of like and Kennedy as well is she is a particular kind of center back that can definitely offer things and when she's playing well it's nice um she is very clanger prone but when you have a clanger prone center back who does like to play forward and um 
be a little bit more creative and, and take a few more risks, then you need someone who's like, zoom, I'm going to clean up your mess for you. And that's what we're a team and we do that together. And I just like, don't know if we have anyone. We don't, I don't, who is there? Apart from, you know, like the real babies. So that's, that's why I'm stressed. This really just was, I already have had these concerns, but I continue to have these concerns uh, in terms of our backline, not just in terms of like the World Cup, because surely at this point, like Polks is going to the World Cup, but like just forever. What's 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 the go? What's what are, what's happening moving forward? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, it is that balance. We've got lots of great players coming through, but um, just not in centre back. Uh, and also the other thing is again, Steph Catley can play centre-back. I don't want to play in centre-back. If she's in form, I want her at left-back. And that's just like a very, that's a tale as old as time in terms of the Matildas, just like wanting players to play where they're best. They're at their best. <sighs> anyway, I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> Sorry about all the tenty. I mean, I'm sure it will tie into the ugly as well, but I mean, like <laughs> this conversation about centre-backs has been going on for a, as long as I've been covering the Matildas, which is a good ooh, eight years. Um, so... Like it was, you had Polks and you had uh, Laura Alloway slash Brock was about and she's now retired. And then there was, there was a conversation around Catley at centre-back and it just like, <laughs> a long time to try and bring these alternatives through. Um, and I know that it's not necessarily worked out with Jenna McCormick. It's uh, Emma Checker. Depend, like, you know, the mixed reviews, she's had tough times with injury and her form has not always been at the level as well, but yeah, it's just that we've not seen more players tried consistently, I think is probably the frustration. Like, you know, um, Winona Healy is one of my obvious go-tos, like a player that has played back three, back, sorry, as a three centre-backs as part of a back five. Or she's played as, you know, one of two centre-backs in a back four. She's played on the left side when she's had to highly rated got called into camp before the Asian cup, but didn't get used. I don't think necessarily even got used in those battler games against Spain and Portugal, which confused me. Um, I'm not sure what the situation is there. Cause she's always been very highly rated. I think when she was at the raw and then at Melbourne city, they loved her. Um, I remember asking um, Rado about Emma Checker and her Matilda's prospects. And I think in the same pressure, he was pressing Winnie Heatley. So it's like, there's an example, like, we're just not seeing these players. I've, I've talked about Angie Beard, like I'm probably an Angie Beard advocate. She obviously pulled out at the last camp, but it's surprising that you're not seeing some of these players, not only in terms of filling, you know, so you're not getting square pegs and round holes, but also maximizing players like Tamiki Yellow, who is a much better player as a midfield option, especially when we've just been talking about the lack of run and drive and energy exactly. through midfield yep. that Emily Van Egmond's maybe not providing. If you's got someone who can step straight into the void, Allie Green's not an option because she's gone to New Zealand. Um, like we seem to be diminishing our, our defensive options, right? And it should have been growing. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm probably rolling into the ugly part here already, but that seems to have been one of the the great problems is the the mixed messaging and the, you know, we're trying to pull together a bigger squad. We're trying to pull together more depth and then, the depth gets played once or twice and then is never seen again or is called into camp once and never gets a go and isn't seen again. Um, whereas I think um, we're talking pre-pod 
Marissa about Charlie Grant clearly benefiting from getting a bit more game time, which wouldn't have been possible previously because, you know, Ellie Carpenter, she's also benefiting from playing, uh, getting some game time at club level with her loan move, which is, which is a really good move for her. But yeah, it's like, how are we going to know if Claire Wheeler can stand up as a six against a good team if we don't play her there? How are we going to know if Alex Chidiak's an option in midfield if we never see her bar 15 minutes at the end, in which time she was very close to scoring an equaliser bar the most desperate challenge from Quinn that left them like on the ground injured. Like that, I think that was what was frustrating. And the defense has been the the sore point for a long time with that. But, you know, it, it translates through to the midfield as well. You, yeah. We talk about the squads being more limited and cutting down. If, if looking at what our squad is homing into 2023 and it's Ivy Lewick playing at center back and, because, you know, or to make Yellow playing at left back because either one of Catley or Kennedy is injured, which is a realistic thing we have to contend with this series, then is have we really, you know, found our best depth? Have we found our best options? Um, yeah, Sam, I'd, I'd be interested to, to um, get your thoughts on this because it just felt like we, we haven't seen that. Like we're less than a year out from the World Cup and we're seeing a, 37, 38 year old defensive midfielder at centre back, and we're, yeah, we're not getting the midfield mix we want, right? And we're seeing yeah. good players left on the bench or left out of squads or not even seemingly on the periphery at all. It's um, it's a weird place to be, and this is happening. Sorry, while Canada, while the US are testing out squads and getting games into people, so That's exactly it just seems what I was to go against say. what all the other teams are doing, right? England yeah. are having squads at the moment where they've brought Lauren James in to get her first cap. We've it, it, we saw Rose last night for Canada just dominate as a young player, like yep. playing with freedom, shutting down Sam Kerr. Like there was so much to like about that. And I don't know how our vision could possibly have narrowed when we don't seem to have reached the point where our broader vision has created a big enough pool to narrow down from, if that makes sense. It does. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, I really don't have anything to add because that's, you're absolutely right, Harrow. And this is like, it's just another, it's the latest example of, the larger structural problem that we've had for years, years and years and years and years. Like where we are now is the result of what's happened in the past. If we had players who were capable of stepping up into particular positions, I would like to think that we would have found them by now, but because we haven't invested in those kinds of development pathways in various ways at both club and country level over the past decade, we just don't, have them, particularly in that age bracket of between sort of 18 and 23, 24. In terms of defenders, we just don't really have them, particularly not at centre-back. And when this squad for this Canada series was announced, you know, I think we even spoke about it in our, in our episode, there are a lot of midfielders. We're really good at producing midfielders. We don't seem to be very good at producing people up the top or down the bottom of the field. And this series I think has really highlighted the problem with that because you can have great midfielders you can be absolutely overflowing with midfielders but what happens is a whole bunch of them stay on the bench because there are some that are more experienced and when you're operating in an environment of pressure like the Matildas are at the moment where they're needing wins they're needing results you know certain players are going to be picked against uh, ahead of certain others because they're the ones who have gotten results in the past or they're the ones who you feel more confident in because they're the ones that are tested, whereas the ones that are on the bench are not tested. And so you're not going to gamble in that kind of way. But 
this yeah and it's just it's I just feel like we keep going round and round and round talking about this sort of stuff you know what I mean and it's it's frustrating because it's it you, you look at other nations and how easy they seem to to have it with this sort of stuff and like Jade Rose for Canada is the perfect example second cap for the senior national team went and represented Canada at the under 20s women's world cup had Sam Kerr in her pocket for that entire second half in that second game she was unbelievable at some of those runs that she made into midfield and she just like she just she just picked up the ball she's like you know what I'm just gonna go and she went and what did we do we watched her go and then she assisted the second goal which ended up being the winner you know, like having players like that, a 20-year-old centre-back who is there and has gone through those pathways, has competed at international level uh, for youth teams, plays for a club and is given a chance and takes it. You know, we don't really have those kinds of openings, I think, for, for emerging players, particularly not from the 20s age group. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, I, I don't know what the sort of dissection is going to be after this and yeah we've absolutely just skipped into the ugly part Marissa I'm really sorry but the vibes coming off the back of this this series I think are probably worse than what they were after Spain Portugal I would agree um, because Spain Portugal we we were missing all of our big players and while we were missing a couple here we also had a couple big players who were here and yet we still weren't able to sort of see the kind of progress that the inclusion of those players should have resulted in um, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm just not feeling good about it. And Sam, I think just to tie into your point, you talk about, you know, these players get trusted because they've got the job done in the past, but in the past two years, this group has not been getting the job done. Exactly. I think they'd be the first to say, it. Yep. um, I like in your piece and we'll get onto your piece, Sam, about how dejected Sam Kerr was. That was the thing that stood out for me watching the broadcast from here in yeah. Melbourne. She just looked gutted and then it went over to Kyra Kearney Cross and she looked gutted and the whole team just looked devastated like hollow eyes sort of stuff um mm. but you know we talk about like jade rose is playing at her club with these sorts of things claire wheeler's just got signed to a wsl club yeah he's just got signed to everton off the back of really good form in denmark after really really good form in the a-league women competition she's built and built and did come through our pathways albeit with some interruptions right um but just not looked at alex chidiak yeah you know, was captained junior slash youth representative teams. Like we've got some of these players and they're not getting a look in. Mm. Like you can understand it will be frustrating for them sitting there when it's, and I, I don't need to rehash what we said before about the midfield energy, but it would be frustrating if you were sort of sitting on the periphery or on the outer wondering what you can do to crack it when the team at the moment isn't performing. That's not necessarily yeah. a question mark over the ability of the players who are playing, but sometimes you do need a freshen up. Like a lot of this 11 is the same. And yeah, as you say, Sam, there's a couple that were missing, but there were, yeah, there were plenty that weren't. Um, and I guess it ties into the, the really ugly thing. What probably inspired the ugly thing was the way this team collapsed in the second half. And yeah. I know the substitutes played a role. We talked about losing that energy, that sort of frenetic energy that Courtney Vine and um, also Caitlin Ford, I guess, brought. But the defensive solidity was gone. The pressing was gone. It just all sort of, fell apart like the first goal was flat-footed defending and the second one was like that rose like sort of stroll through was incredible um but just the way that yeah they fell apart just no bueno like not good to watch um and this is like the, the thing that I've started to turn my attention to now is the mentality of these players because that first half showed that they have 
the physicality, they have the technique, they're able to play that kind of way when they want to. But when they go down a goal and when they go down a goal in a shitty way, you see it, you see them almost like physically take a hit to their confidence. You saw heads drop. You saw all of a sudden they started to make mistakes. Passes stopped connecting. The press stopped. All this sort of stuff. Like it had an almost like visceral impact on their confidence and on on their belief in themselves. And and that, we sort of saw that I think in the in the first game as well. After you know that Canada scored in the opening sort of twenty minutes of the first half, even though the Matildas started really well, after after that goal, they just looked off the pace. They just didn't really seem to get back into it until the end of the game when it was like, oh shit, we better like try and do something because this is the eighty fifth minute and we're losing. Um, and that that mental side of things now seems to be my biggest concern. Um, and I asked Tony after the second game about what you referenced her about Sam Kerr, because you're right. Like I, I watched her from the media box and I was like, she looks like she is carrying the world on her shoulders right now. She looks like she does not love playing for the Matildas in this kind of way, in this kind of context. And I know that she's a winner and I know that she hates when she loses and I know that she doesn't lose very much. And so it's unusual and unnatural for her, but there's just, there's just been something about the last couple of months that not just her, but I think a lot of other players as well are really starting to feel the weight of what hosting this women's world cup means and what the pressure of all this is actually starting to feel like, because they have not played the way that I think, they're capable of playing. And that's maybe why Ford said after the second game, like that first half, we felt like ourselves because they played with that kind of confidence and that kind of belief in themselves and that kind of joy that we always talk about as being associated with the Matildas, but we haven't actually seen for a long time. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, psychologically where, where are they at with all this? Because like looking at it from the outside and being part of the conversations from the outside and seeing more and more criticism heaped on them from the outside. I can only imagine as much as they say that they avoid social media and they avoid reading the headlines and whatever, I can imagine that it's really starting to take a toll and loss after loss, after loss, question after question, after question, we believe in the process internally. We believe in the process. It starts to wear you down, starts to wear you thin. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty worried for the players to be honest. And you also wonder at what point they stop believing that as well. Um, yeah. Because I think when you look at the ugly, um, and I think we can say friend of the pod, Adrian Archuli from SBS. I yep. think you can get friend of the pod. You've done yeah. some work together, Sam. I have. He put some pretty damning stats up right on Twitter. And I think this sort of laid bare. This is the this is the Tony Gustafson era, right? So that's effectively started at the start of 2021, appointed in 2020, couldn't play or have that first camp really started just before April 2021. I want to say those friendlies, right? Yep. Um, Germany, Netherlands, yeah. So, yeah, 26 games, eight wins, um, and three of those eight are against New Zealand, five draws, 13 losses, 54 goals for, and 52 goals against. So that overall goal difference is plus two. <laughs> Worth remembering that one of those games is that 18-0 win over Indonesia. So if you take that, which is I think is a real outlier, that's the one true... Mm. outlier like seven nils there but there was also you know like the five nil and the those sorts of things but the, the 18 nil is the real outlier that you can probably disregard effectively 
if you're going to do that. He said, anyway, it's my, the goal difference under Tony is minus 16. It's, it's not good enough, whichever way you look at it, right? Like it's, it's pretty damning stats. And Sam, you talk about um, how the players must be feeling. But this is, as you said, you, you worded it well. I enjoyed reading your piece today, Sam, about um, Sam Kerr's used to winning. There's a player's used to winning. There's a player's mm. used to high standards. And there's losing a couple early to prove a point. We know that the Olympics went well, bar the, the actual sort of medal playoff games. But it's got to take a toll. It's loss after loss. You're struggling to see. I mean, we talk about that first half, but when you look at the contrast between that first half and the second half, you just couldn't see what the consistencies were in terms of playing style. We haven't seen, I think, as a general rule, when you see a a, coaching regime come in, you know the way they want to play. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the same players, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be results, but you can see a clear playing style. I think that's what a lot of people aren't seeing. Um, we're not seeing, you know, we're not getting the best out of Sam Kerr, who is a phenomenal player and leader who across multiple coaches in multiple teams, you, you get that impression. We're just not seeing what we need to be seeing from this team. And I think they're not seeing what they want to see from themselves. You could see the frustrations palpable. Um, they were, as I said, they were gutted after the game. And I mean, it's, it's got a heap, a lot of pressure on, doesn't it? Like we talked about this after the Asian Cup about whether the FA would make a move on on Tony. They obviously decided to to stick with their coach, but it's not going to get any quieter. The the discussion around this. So I guess the question is, what does this mean in terms of Tony's position? We saw them stick fat after the Asian Cup, but things haven't really gotten any better. If anything, they've got worse, bar a couple of results here and there. What does it mean? Sam, I'd like your opinion because we just I just pumped up your base. <laughs> oh, God, this is the question, isn't it? Um, it's a hard one because if you fall on the side of um, he needs to be sacked, the next logical question needs to be, okay, who replaces him? I'm sure that there are probably a lot of head coaches around the world who would jump at the opportunity to work with players like Sam Kerr. But in the space that they've got, which is just over 10 months now, and the challenge is ahead, which the last 18 months has laid pretty plain, you know, and head coaches have probably been looking at results over the past 18 months as well and been going like, yikes, what's been going on? What kind of coach would want to take on that challenge? I don't know. My gut tells me that if he does get sacked, the next um, safest replacement will probably be Mel Adriata, who has been around them. She's been the assistant coach under him for the past 18 months. She's familiar with all the players. She's been part of the setup for ages. She knows the style. She knows all the staff. The transition from Tony to Mel would not be massive. She doesn't have to relearn everything. Um, And... Maybe she's not ready for that, but maybe it's a sink or swim type of scenario. Maybe she just gets thrown into the deep end and maybe she does well and maybe she doesn't. In which case, you know, hindsight's always going to be 2020. And this is the thing, right? Like what come next year, we're going to know whether what happens now has paid off or not. Um, and that's, you know, that's the decision that needs to be made. And I think that it's important also to keep in Mind what happened the last time we were in a situation heading into a World Cup where things were not all rosy. 
you know, we had a head coach who was dismissed. We had someone brought in at the last minute who did as much as they could in the time that was given to them, but ultimately didn't really result in anything at the World Cup anyway. So having to balance all that sort of stuff, like I don't envy decision makers at this point at all, Um, especially given I think Tony, to his credit, has been very clear about the challenges that he's faced in all of this. He's been really upfront with the fact that he has been tasked with two really big jobs that probably shouldn't have been asked of him in the first place. You can't prepare a team, a senior team, for a hosting a Women's World Cup at the same time as trying to accelerate the development of a generation of players that has been neglected for the past five years. Those two things are a lot of the time mutually exclusive. And Tony has talked about that. He said, this is the reason we have youth teams. This is the reason we have under 20s. This is the reason we have an under 23s. It's not the job of a senior national team coach to develop youth players. That's someone else's job, but we don't have those structures in place. And so it's all fallen on his shoulders in order to deal with all of that. So the past 18 months, as he said before this Canada series, that was the time to figure all that out. That was the time to look as deep and as wide across the player pool as possible, find the players who have the potential to step into those roles and try and bring them through as fast as, as fast as possible that he could as well. So now this Canada series was meant to be, in his words, the line in the, line sand, in the sand, right? This was the moment to narrow down the squad, to narrow down the style that we're going to end up seeing hopefully next year. I don't know if we've necessarily seen that. We've seen a half of that, I would say. We've seen, I think, a couple of players who have put their names up in lights, like a Courtney Vine, like a Charlie Grant, like a Katrina Gorey. But is that enough? I don't know. And is there enough, like we talked off the top of this episode about what we saw in the first half, but are these glimpses, I guess, enough to outweigh the negatives that we've seen, um, that we've talked about? I don't, I don't think we need to repeat it. The results I mean, speak for themselves. I think for me, the, the key is where where do the players stand as well? Because if you lose the players, then you, you've you got to go. Yeah, exactly. uh, the players probably look the most disheartened. I don't want to speak for them. They look the most disheartened that I've seen them, I think, in, in this tenure. I think that was the most gutted. I guess you're doing it, you know, on home soil. You drop a one-goal lead. So there's all those factors as well. But I think that comes into it. But I think either way, there's got to be a strong decision made one way or the other very soon and it's got to be a, a firm one can't just be treading water and in limbo forever they either, I think they've either got to make a call and say Tony's our man and he's seeing us through this or they've got to say he's not and make the call and do it quickly and move forward I, I don't think there's room to sort of tread water and just go okay so this was a line in the sand but the next one's going to be a line in the sand and then so's the next one <laughs> and then all of a sudden you, you know you're four months out from the world cup and um it's you've you know you've had to make a decision a year ago one way or the other so it's yeah I don't like you say Sam I don't envy the ones who have to make these sorts of decisions but geez the stats as I said they speak for themselves the the style of play is not looking good I think you you need to I, I think the worrying thing is more people need to be convinced that this is the right way forward then maybe a you know a year ago people were all on board. Now I think you're actually having to you would actually have to convince people that, that things are traveling in the right direction because all the evidence that we're seeing at the moment, I mean, I think doesn't say that. 
Alternatively, would someone else like the World Cup? Like New Zealand, would you like to just have all of it? <laughs> Maybe. Because um, personally, I just don't like this combo. I just, I didn't think about this when we got the World Cup. I, no. Anyway, I think that's definitely played into it massively. The And I don't know if there's... I, I don't know. It annoys me a little bit that the expectation is that it's a home World Cup, therefore we absolutely need to win it. I, do, I just, I, I get, and I get where people come from because it's a fairy tale, the narrative and what it will do for the game in Australia, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, it's not on the Matildas to, um, I, I just feel like it's unfair that, that there's that burden. Like it should be a positive thing. Um, and it's, feeling increasingly like all of these things are becoming tangled up and not in a good way and it's really hard to separate it out so yeah um who are the other bidders could we do <laughs> which one's closest to New Zealand I'm not sure not well there was Japan there for a bit there was Colombia Japan 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 can have a crack for a world cup for a world cup if you want it anyway you're right there, Angela. Like it's, take. Yeah, no, you. I think you're right because, like, the other thing that we don't talk about is like when people say we want the Matildas to do well at the World Cup. What does that mean? What does that look like? Where? What? What position is that exactly? Like, yeah, there are some people who are like, yeah, they're going to win it. They're not going to win it. We know that. What is a What is a good result though? And you know, against what kinds of opponents as well? Like, depending on our draw depending on permutations, will a good result be going down fighting 1-0 to the ultimate champions in the quarterfinals? Will a good result be no worse than the semis? You know, what does that mean? And and, uh, uh, how do we measure that sort of stuff? That's the thing that I'm kind of increasingly thinking about when we have these discussions. And like you're right, Angela, you said it perfectly, like, hosting this world cup was meant to be a great thing and it's starting to feel like the weight of it is just crumbling everything beneath it particularly the players who are meant to be at the heart of it so yeah i, I think it's not so but much. the stadium's I, not i, I the think stadium, the stadium sorry anna sorry i think the the world cup pressure is one thing but i, I think the that's not the only thing i think um poor results you know different player we've seen the chopping and changing I know COVID played a role early in things but I don't think it's necessarily just the the World Cup that plays a role in these sorts of things I think the players are probably feeling the heat of not getting the results they want or maybe not playing the way they want to and I guess it's like when we talk about what the expectations are heading into the World Cup but I think the frustration that you see when you when you look on Twitter for example or when you're talking to people in the pub is well you know you want above all to feel like you're actually competing and can and can win and that's not really realistically bar I think if you look at the the Brazil games are probably the Brazil win is probably one of the rare exceptions um and we know that there was the GB win at the Olympics but you're just not seeing it like I think people aren't necessarily thinking oh is is a pass mark making the semis or winning the world cup I think people have got concerns over where we are right now and what's what's going on and the player pool and the style of play we're seeing and the results are obviously coming into that and I've said it already about the stats I do I do think though that if the job was there you'd have people going for it because it's a 
major job at a World Cup with a you know talented group of players. You always have coaches backing themselves. Um, I think that's probably the main frustration that I'm seeing from people is, are we getting enough out of the group of players that are there? Is the, are we seeing enough out of them? Do they feel like they're getting enough out of themselves? Um, because there's a lot of ability there. There's a lot of talent there. Um, I guess that's what it, what it comes down to. And I think that's probably the decision the FA will have to make is if they feel that this regime is getting the most out of the current playing group or. But I think, I don't know. I think like there's, there are all the issues and I think it's, the the criticisms are valid but it, like it can't really be separated from from the world cup because like no, if we were going course. to japan for the world cup i think that the moderate fans the fans who um yeah like i i had a conversation the other day with a coach at our club and he he was like the vibe's just off like it's no good like people are obviously picking up on it because um the results haven't been there even if you just have a cursory mm glance you don't need to be like in the weeds to uh be feeling um a little bit pessimistic about everything but his his kind of view of it was like I was so excited when we got the world cup but now we're not going to be able to do very well but he you know what I mean it's just I it's just an additional kind of layer to the whole thing that has created a lot more pressure um, that's fair yeah and sort of and brought this I think makes it just all a little bit more tense I suppose because yeah you want to do well at a home world cup I suppose I, again what does well mean uh, uh, Marissa I got some thoughts and vibes <laughs> never not once in my life I was going to wrap this thing up by saying that it's obviously going to be very interesting, the conversations we're having after those October games. As Sam mentioned, they should be locked in soon, I'm hoping. Um, So we will see what kind of conversations, what kind of squad we're bringing, taking wherever, what formations we're playing, what kind of football we're playing, and it's going to be a very telling time, those October friendlies, but that's us done for today. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google, all the pod spots. If you like what we do, leave a review and subscribe. If you want to have a chat to us, we are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. We'll give a little retweet to Sam's pieces from these Canada games, but until next time, see us.